Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That is a good word. That's my sermon today right there. That's what I'm going to walk away with and remember this week. It says that we walk through the valley of shadow of death. We don't camp there. I like that. Um, We are in a series right now called, a church called Tov. And that word that I'm bringing to you, the word Tov, is our message. It's an overarching word. This is not a one-off sermon. This is not a sermon you walk away with and you're like, oh, I feel great today as I walk away from church. Um, this is a, a long word, okay? This is a, we're here for a long series, and it's an important series. We're gonna have some hard conversations. We have been having hard conversations, but they're worth having because of the serious nature of what we're talking about. We're talking about church abuse. We're talking about church impropriety. We're talking about things that should not happen inside of church, but things that do happen inside of church, We're talking about toxicity within the walls of a place where there should only be Tove. And you may wonder, what in the world is Tove? If you've missed some of our previous sermons, Tove is the Hebrew word for good. Tove is a word that shows up immediately in Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1, when the Lord creates the world, he steps back and he admires what he has created. He says, what I've created is good. What I've created is Tove. This message of good is rooted not just within creation, but it is rooted within a message that God has his creation take to the ends of the world. God cultivates a people. He calls Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm gonna make you a nation. You're gonna be set apart. You're gonna impact the entire world. I'm gonna make you a people group, and the reason I'm making you a people group is so that you will impact all the other people groups that are out there for good, for tov. And when Jesus comes to earth, he comes to preach a kingdom message. He comes to preach a gospel, a kingdom gospel. Gospel is a word that means good news, tov news. The kingdom is tov news. The message that Jesus gives his disciples who become the apostles, who he tells to take this message, the message that he preached, the tov news that he preached to the end of the world, to the very place that they were planted, to their neighbors, is Tov. Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church upon you. This church that he built, the bride of Christ, is meant to be a place of Tov. It is meant to have a message of Tov, of goodness. We are the church. The church is not a building. The church is a people. As the church, we are called to be a message of Tove wherever we are planted. So back on our map in the back of the room, where I've asked you to put a little red dot signifying where you live, wherever you live, you are meant to be a message of Tove to your neighbors. You're meant to be a message of Tove to the place where you get your groceries. You're meant to be a message of Tove to the place that your kids go to school. You are meant to be a message of Tov wherever you are planted of goodness. Not of toxicity, but of Tov. We want Kanoi to be a church called 
Tov. We want to be able to invite our neighbors to a place of Tov. We want children and youth to come to our church and it to be a place of Tov. We want this church to make a difference in people's lives. We want people to meet Jesus in this place. We want people to grow in their relationship with Jesus in this place. We want people to get to know each other in this place and grow into a community in this place. We want people to grow into a community that chased Jesus with their whole hearts in this place and that is a place of Tov, okay? That's what we want. We envision Kanoi being a place of Tov. All right? That's the vision for Kanoi. That's why we're talking about this. I feel exhausted after church on Sunday, and especially the last few weeks. To get up in front of you and to air the dirty laundry of the church is exhausting. To get up in front of you and to share things that make me feel a bit sick and to spend a good portion of my week reading things and learning about things, and some of them things that I feel are even too inappropriate to share from here with you, make me exhausted. I would rather not preach this message. Know that. Please. Okay? However, it is too important for me not to preach the message. There are too many churches and too many places where this stuff is happening. You all need to be able to recognize when this stuff is happening. Whether, it's, whether you see it happen here or you see it happen somewhere else, okay? You need to be aware. You have to be able to see it. We, you know, last week I read from Romans during our prayer time and one of the things that it said is we ought not think more highly of ourselves than we should. None of us are above making mistakes, okay? So one of the reasons that we talk about this is not just so that we are seeing it in other places, it's so that if somehow we end up taking a wrong path here, we see it and cut it off quickly, okay? We put an end to it quickly before it gets too far, understood? Okay. We also talk about these things at other churches not so that we can somehow feel like we are better than anyone else. We don't talk about these things from a prideful standpoint. We talk about them from a humble place, but we want to learn from other, other, other churches, other people's mistakes. And there's a part of you that might think that's pretty pessimistic, Nick. And I'm okay with you thinking that if you need to think that because if we don't talk about it now, it's gonna to be too late to talk about it at some point. I hope that makes sense to you. I'm not willing to wait until it's too late. Let's put it that way. Here's the nice thing about today. Today is the last sermon I will give you where it is more negative than positive, okay? Today, I'm going to end giving you an idea of where we're going. I'm gonna give you a positive tool, all right? And the next few sermons, we'll be taking that tool, we'll be talking about it. This is the positive tool that we'll be using to say, here is how we are going to work really hard to make sure that we are building a Tove positive culture here at our church. Here's the things that we're gonna do to be on the lookout for toxicity, for church abuse, um, 
And so today is the last more negative sermon that I just have some things to share to say, these are things we need to watch out for. Um, so that, I think, is good news. Yeah? Yes. Okay. All right. Then let's, let's do this thing. Um, hold on. I got to clear that. Let's do this. All right. Today, most of what I'm going to talk about is something called false narratives. All right? And this is ways of telling the story that protect the toxic church or the church leader. And essentially what I mean is whenever there is a allegation of some wrongdoing or abuse or scandal of some kind, there's a story that goes with it. We, our whole lives are stories. We don't, we, don't just, we don't just interact with facts. If you're sitting in history class, then your history teacher is giving you a bunch of facts, right? Um, 1776. There's a fact that goes with that date, right? But along with that date, and the fact that goes with that date, is a whole story of independence. And the reason that we remember the date and the year is from this really awesome story of independence that goes with it. We remember facts because of the story that goes with it. Does that make sense? So even in our own lives, the reason that my parents remember a specific date in August is because that was the date that their favorite child was born, okay? Oh, they're booing from the lobby. (laughs) February is my sister's birthday, so I guess we'll find out pretty soon which is the truth. Um, Anyway, um, so with facts come stories. Our, Our brains use stories to remember facts and make sense of facts. That's just the way our brains work. Um, Lying is a form of storytelling that when something goes wrong, we create a new story to make the facts work in our favor. Okay, does that make sense too? You with me? Okay. Uh, It's a way of spinning the story in our own direction, out of deceit or self-preservation or self-interest. And so what I have to share with you are kind of eight ways of telling the story that protects the toxic church or church leader whenever a critic or a victim brings an allegation against the church. Some of these I have an example for to help you understand it. Some of these I don't have an example for because if I had an example for every single one, we just would be here too long. It just would take too long. So... I just, I didn't feel like it would be helpful to do an example for all of them. But it's not hard to find an example for all of them. Let's just say that. First one is discredit the critics, okay? If you don't want to admit the truth of an accusation, then discredit the accuser instead. This can be accomplished by branding the accuser as a liar or seeking to undermine their credibility by attacking their character. a common way to think of this is called a character assassination. Okay, you might have heard that before. Essentially what you do is you get people to pay attention to a person's character rather than the facts. And so it will go like this. You say something like, well, this person is a bad person, so pay attention to the fact that they're a bad person, and because they're bad, you can ignore whatever they say. Or this person is a good person, And so you can pay attention to whatever they say is true because they're a good person. So in the case of an allegation of abuse of some kind, 
what would commonly happen would be uh, church leadership saying something like, oh, she's a loose cannon. You can't trust what she says. Um, he has no Christian maturity. You can't trust what he says, or you can't trust his understanding of what we were doing. Uh, she's emotionally unstable, okay? Does that sound, you understand what I'm saying? We're, what we're doing there is we're saying something about the character of the person, and then it impacts how we think about what that person might have said about a situation. Those sort of statements cast a shadow of a doubt on a person who dares to speak up, and it allows a leader to quickly gain the support of the elders or the church board or even an entire congregation as long as they get their version of the story out quick enough. Make sense? Okay. Is this me? Am I doing that? Sorry. One second. Try that. All right, number two. Similar. Um, demonize the critics. It's similar, but in some ways I think it's worse. This is when you portray the person who makes the accusation as trying to harm the church and all its good works for Christ's kingdom. And the base of this method is saying that the accuser is evil, so you can't trust them. So it's very similar, but instead of doing a character assassination, what you're saying is this person is evil or this person is the devil. Okay? And, and so some of you might go, well, that's silly. I would never believe if somebody's like, oh, that person is the devil. But in some church scenarios, that's a very real comment. And it is very common to accuse people of having Satan in them or being Satan, okay? So, um, I have a caveat in here. I think this is important to say. I'm telling you to be weary of when somebody says somebody is evil or somebody has evil intentions. That doesn't mean that there aren't people out there that have evil intentions, okay? I, the first sermon I gave on this, I talked about Mark Driscoll from Mars Hill uh, and how he was a pastor who um, is, he's still pastoring. He was accused of abuse, uh, abuse to his congregation, abuse to his staff, um, he was accused of a number of things. He's still pastoring today. He left the church he was at. That church collapsed. He popped up somewhere else, a couple states away. Uh, he kind of has like a new personality, new church. Uh, his previous elders wrote a letter demanding for him to be re removed from ministry forever. He's still, he's still doing his thing. When I was uh, a young adult pastor in a previous church, I had young adults who really liked Mark Driscoll. They liked that he yelled and screamed about certain things, and they would show me clips of him screaming at uh, the congregation. And I really did not like Mark Driscoll. And I don't know him, it's not a personal thing. I don't, it's not, I don't personally like him. What I was trying to tell them was that his methods are very full of anger, they aren't full of love, they're not pastorally caring. The tone and the tenor of our message is just as important as the content of our message. And so be very careful. What, what I was seeing seemed toxic. It didn't seem caring and loving and, and tove. It's not a word I knew then, but it's a word I know now. Um, so 
What I'm saying to you is recognize out there when there's something toxic. There are people out there I think that have evil intentions, but also be aware um, if you hear a pastor saying this person's evil, at least take the time to ask the question, why is there a pastor calling this person evil? Okay, so here's an example. Elders at Harvest Bible Chapel spoke out about a lack of transparency in the church when nearly $60 million of what was labeled on the church's financial books as construction debts was there. So we just had our congregational council. So imagine Ron got up and was going over our books and there's $60 million as one of the lines there. It says construction debts. And somebody said, what's that? What, what construction debt is that? And we didn't build anything, right? And so some elders spoke up. That doesn't seem right. And what it ended up being linked to was a pastoral gambling problem. But, so the church, the church elders who spoke up were removed from leadership. The church elders that remained along with Pastor James McDonald, who some of you guys might be familiar with, were very deliberate in communicating to the congregation a few things. They said, what these men say is satanic. We warn, this is a quote, we warn members of the church that these are false messengers. Another quote, all members of the church should avoid them or you might lose your soul. Okay? So this was clear communication to members of the church not to talk to these folks because they've been demonized, all right? So the question is, if you come across a pastor who is demonizing or church leadership who's demonizing, at least ask the question, why are they being demonized, okay? Does that make sense? I'm not saying there aren't people out there with bad intentions. There are people out there with bad intentions. But ask the question why we're, we're talking about it. Uh, number three, spin the story. This is a pretty simple one. Spinning the story is when you take the accuser's story um, and you create an alternative version of the story that supports the pastor and the church. The alternative version of the story creates doubt about the accusation against the pastor and the church. The trouble with this one is really tricky. This comes down to a he said, she said sort of battle, and it gets sticky. Um, example of this one was helpful, I think. So Willow Creek and Bill Hybels has a pretty known case of this. A previous employee um, was a youth minister, and she she eventually quit and filed a complaint with HR about her workplace treatment from Bill Hybels. She worked with Bill Hybels for almost a decade. And over that time, she had just years and years of run-ins with Bill where he unsolicited made inappropriate comments about her, her looks and her clothes and her body and the way that she looked. Um, sometimes he, he pressed himself up against her or he invited her to ride with him alone in his car to the airport to have a meeting, even though it was like a 15-minute ride. Um, and she said that it's not enough time to talk about whatever they wanted to talk about, and then he would get mad at her. Um, he invited her to come to his hotel room at one point. She felt like those were conditions that she couldn't work in, so she quit. And when she quit, she filed a grievance with the HR department. Um, when she did that, Willow Creek sent a lawyer to her to go over this grievance, and the, the attorney that came to her had a version of the story from Bill that made it sound like she pursued him the whole time, 
And the attorney then read portions of emails to the congregation that back that story up. So what was presented to the Willow Creek con congregation was a tale of a youth worker that pursued Bill. What grievance she filed over the course of years was an employer who unsolicited did things advanced on her that she didn't want. Does that make sense? So it's a spin on the story, becomes a he said, she said battle, who do you believe? That's a hard one, right? Okay. Um, number four, this is, this is a gaslighting. Anybody heard of gaslighting before? That's a term that's like gotten a whole new life uh, anyway. It's actually an old term. Gaslighting comes from a play from 1939. It's an old, it's an old term. The play was called Gaslight. It's a play, get this, it's a play about a husband who's trying to make his wife think she's crazy by dimming the gas lights in their apartment and pretending like he didn't do it. <laughs> That's a good marriage right there. <clears throat> Man, I gotta get them in to do some speaking. <clears throat> okay, it's like psychological warfare. Okay, so gaslighting is now an official psychological condition uh, it's a psychological manipulation in which a person sows seeds of doubt in a targeted individual that makes them question their own memory, perception, or judgment, okay? How does that work in a church abuse situation? A victim will report inappropriate behavior from the pastor or, or some church leadership. The pastor then turns against the victim and says, oh, no, 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 you know, they invited me to their room but I resisted it by requesting a phone call instead. They'll make a counter accusation, excuse me, a counter accusation that's designed to knock the victim off balance, to de destabilize the victim in some way, to make them question their version of the story. Um, anything to knock the victim off balance. Many victims will back down from the accusation when these sort of counter accusations are made one, because of the power differential. Because in these cases, the pastor has all of the power. I want you to remember that. In, in, in so many instances, we often think of a pastor uh, uh, having an affair with somebody in their congregation or somebody that they might be counseling. A pastor in a counseling position doesn't have an affair. That is not the way it works. There is a power differential there. The power is not equal in that situation, okay? You can have an affair with somebody who you have equal power with. In a situation where a pastor is counseling somebody, it is an abuse of power because the pastor holds power over that person. Does that make sense? Okay, so because of that power differential, Victims will often back down when they make an accusation and the pastor then counter-accuses, makes them question their version of what happened. And they go, wait, did I do that? Wait, maybe, maybe I pushed them. Maybe, maybe, maybe I pursued them. And they begin to back down. They become unsure 
of the timeline of things. They become unsure of what really happened and suddenly the situation goes away. Um, here's an example. I talked about this in a previous sermon. This, you might remember her name. Jules Woodson was 17 when her youth pastor took advantage of her on a deserted roadway. He gave her a ride home after a youth group one night. She finally mustered up the courage to tell the associate pastor what he had done. And when she had finished telling the story, this is what she recalls, and I'm quoting her. Just that I had finished telling my story, Larry, who was the associate pastor, immediately spoke up and asked me to clarify. He said something to the effect of, so you're telling me you participated? I remember feeling like my heart had just sunk to the floor. What was he asking? More importantly, what was he trying to imply? This wave of shame came over me greater than I ever had felt before. I had, I had just gotten done telling him everything that Andy, my youth pastor, had asked me to do. Every ounce of courage I had gathered to walk in there and tell Larry the truth about what had happened to me left in an instant. Not only did I suddenly feel this immense guilt for doing what Andy had asked me to do, but I also started to feel that this was my fault somehow because I didn't stop him. That situation happened in 1998 to Jules. After she confessed what had happened to the associate pastor and he responded in that way and she began to question the event and feel guilty, it would be 20 years until she had the courage to then speak up about it again. In those 20 years, her youth pastor, Andy, would go on to continue pastoring, to continue working in churches for those next 20 years. When she spoke up finally, 20 years later, he was then released from ministry for six months. He is now pastoring again, okay? <clears throat> Number five is make the perpetrator the victim. Church leaders may create a false victimization narrative in which everything is reversed and the perpetrators of sexual violence become the victim. They'll say things like, the victims aren't engaging in reconciliation. They didn't follow Matthew 18. Remember we talked about that last week? Matthew 18 is the conflict resolution. They didn't come to me first. You know, they didn't come and talk to me about this thing and this problem they had with me. They didn't follow Matthew 18. You know, we, we the leadership have given so much. We feel like a family, but they're not acting like a family. And now it feels like the family is fighting and, and we're, we're really hurting now. Or I've spent my whole life trying to empower women. Now to, t to have women tell me that my ministry has been offending them, that's hard for me to hear. And suddenly we're feeling bad for the person who was allegedly doing the abuse. The, the script has been flipped, and now the perpetrator is suddenly the victim. Number six, this is an important one. Uh, and I feel like almost a, uh, it should be a no-brainer, but it's not because of the world we live in today. Silencing the truth, NDAs. Anybody know what an NDA is? Non-disclosure agreement, okay? The non-disclosure agreement um, creates the impression to people who are not in the know that nothing happened. So, I asked if I could do this, so 
Don't be mad at me. Let's say that I'm a pastor who likes to pinch people, okay? You guys don't know this, right? I just, I love to pinch people all the time. Jason, he gets all my pinches whenever he comes to church. I do it in secret. I just pinch him all the time. But I'm afraid I'm going to get caught. So I, I write up a non-disclosure agreement. I'm going to be good. I'm not going to pinch anybody anymore. One last pinch. All right. I write up my non-disclosure, and I get Jason to sign it, right? This says, Jason, you can't tell anybody that I, I pinched you, all right? Okay. Well, I'm not going to pinch you anymore. But you, she will. Okay. Well, that's between you guys, but I won't do it anymore, okay? Now, I'm going to put this in my filing cabinet right here in my filing cabinet, Okay but you can't tell anybody that I pinched you, all right? And, uh, and Jeff, if you go and ask him, he's gonna, he's gonna tell you no, because he signed a legally binding document that says he can't tell you that I pinched him, all right? So to, to all of you who might wonder if I'm the pinching pastor, <laughs> well, sure seems like I'm not the pinching pastor. You've heard somewhere in E-Town, there's a pastor that pinches, and you've been wondering who the pinching pastor is. Jason knows, but he can't tell you because he signed away the right and it's in my filing cabinet. Okay? Now, silly, right? But in seriousness, non-disclosure agreements are a very real thing that are commonly used in the business world and are also used in the church world. If you go to a church that uses NDAs, stop going to that church. I, I cannot think of a reason why a church should use an NDA. I cannot. <laughs> okay. Alice just said to cover up. Yes, that is the reason why a church would use an NDA. So what is the, what is the church trying to cover up? That is, that is clearly the reason why a church would use an NDA, to cover something up. So if you're going to a church that's using NDAs, you find out it's common that this church uses an NDA or that denomination uses NDAs, then what you're finding out is that that church feels that it has things that it needs to make sure that people can't legally disclose. And if you're finding out that that church or that denomination has things that it feels that it can't legally disclose to people who are participating in it, I don't know about you, but that should feel like a, a red flag, okay? Okay, here's the other, well, let me take a drink first. Oh, my word. You see how some of this stuff can be so heavy? And so sad. I love the church. I hope you guys do too. Me too. It breaks my heart to have to like talk about this stuff and, and know that this stuff goes on out there. Here's the other thing, and I didn't even know this. This is brand new, finding this out. Membership covenants. Um, the other method of silence is through membership covenants. Some membership covenants in churches are legally binding membership covenants. <laughs> you remember when we used to read Matt Chandler? Matt Chandler is a, is a pastor of a church called the Village Church down in Texas. Uh, I actually really like Matt Chandler. Theologically, I don't agree with him too much on some things, but he wrote a book called The Explicit Gospel a few years ago. I did a Sunday school at the last church I worked at on it, and uh, I really enjoyed that. But uh, his church has a legally binding membership covenant, and um, it 
it says that if you have a problem with somebody, a conflict with somebody at the church, you legally are not allowed to uh, file any sort of litigation against that person. Um, which, on the outset, sounds like we're trying to pursue Matthew 18. Okay, like, let's do conflict resolution Bible style. Okay? So it kind of sounds like a good thing, but I'm going to tell you why it's not in a second. Well, no, no, let me tell you. I'll tell you why it's not. Because in that church, the village church, um, there's a family named the Braggs who's, who were a part of this church for a long time, totally sought out and bought in on this, signed the membership covenant thing, sent their kids off to their summer camp with the village church and the village church staff. Their 11-year-old daughter was sexually abused by church staff members at their summer camp, came home from their week-long summer camp telling these stories of being abused sexually by the church staff. So, of course, the first thing they did is they went right to the church and said, hey, church staff did this to our daughter. And the church responded immediately and said, no way, it couldn't happen. Our church staff signs the membership, doc, membership covenant just like you guys do. They would never do that. No investigation, zero investigation. Immediate response, couldn't happen. Now, the good thing the Braggs did was immediately they withdrew their church membership and they, they started litigation immediately. You know, they, they reported the incident to the proper authorities. They started litigation against the church to make things happen. But here's what they found out. Their daughter is a minor, so they were able to go through the proper channels to make things happen. But if she had not been a minor and she had gone to this retreat and this abuse happened and her, their non-minor daughter had signed the church covenant, the courts in Texas would have been forced to enforce the membership covenant, which would have made them do internal litigation first, which is in favor of the church, before ever coming outside of that to do any official court to work out the abuse. That is problematic, okay? So that's why that's not good. Now, last week, my wife challenged me a little bit here which I super appreciate. I was saying, Kanoi's Tove, which I believe we are. But she said, prove it. I said, okay, I'm gonna work on that. Anytime I say Kanoi's Tove, I'm gonna try and prove why we're Tove. I, I wanted to talk about the membership covenant because we have church members and we're gonna run another membership class this year and membership is something that I'm telling you, be weary of. What does our membership covenant say here at Kanoi? This is the minister's manual, which is something that all uh, pastors get in the Brethren in Christ. And this is the same, um, would be the same membership covenant that every single Brethren in Christ member would say across the denomination. So not just in this church, but every Brethren in Christ church. And, and this is what we would say. As a member of the Brethren in Christ church, I accept the Bible as the word of God, which is revealed the way of salvation and the guide for faith and conduct. There we go, okay? I witness to the personal experience of God's saving grace in my heart, okay? And express desire and purpose to live a holy life apart from sin and separated unto Christ. I covenant as a member of the Brethren in Christ Church to be loyal to this congregation, to consent in instruction in Bible doctrine, to support and sustain the services of the congregation by my regular attendance, prayers, to contribute to the program of the church, as the Lord prospers me and to foster a spirit of Christian fellowship and oneness with the church. 
That's the whole thing, okay? There's no mention of you being legally bound to not go to litigation, though I, I hope you would try to work it out before you did that, but there's, you would verbally give this. There's no document that we notarize somewhere that says that you, whatever. This is legally saying, I believe the Bible is the word of God. I have had a actual expression that Jesus had actually changed my life and I wanna follow him. I'm now going to make this my church home and I'm gonna support that by coming here and giving here. That's our membership covenant. That seems tove to me, okay? That's what it means to be a member in this place. NDAs, that's not a good look for church. Membership covenants that tie your hands, that are legally binding documents, that's not a good look for church, all right? Be aware of those two things. We're getting there. Number seven, number eight's the last one. Suppress the truth. This is a big one. Um, This comes in the form of shaming, intimidation, threatening. Threatening spiritual or financial consequences or destruction of evidence, okay? This is, this is more, um, more prevalent than we often realize. So think of somebody that says something like, I'll bring the full weight of the church against you. Think of somebody that says like, they'll never believe you. Are you kidding me? I'm the pastor. Think of somebody that says words like that to somebody that might make an accusation or somebody that says, I'm gonna tell. Think of, I shared about in the first sermon in the series, I shared about Ravi Zacharias and one of his repeated rape victims who was Christian. He said to her repeatedly, if you ever speak out against me, you will be responsible for the millions of lost souls when my reputation is damaged. That is what we're talking about here. Suppressing the truth through shaming, intimidation, or threatening spiritual or financial consequences, okay? Um, The woman I told you who had the he said, she said story with Bill Hybels, remember? Okay, her name was was Carrie. And when she filed her grievances with human resources at Willow Creek, Willow Creek told her she had to come into the office to sign paperwork. Uh, And so she was driving over Willow Creek and Willow Creek called her and said, when you're almost here, call us and tell us. And when you get to the parking lot and you pull in, call us and tell us you're here. And she thought, that's weird. But she did it anyway because why wouldn't she? It's a church. And when she got into the parking lot and got out of her car, Bill Hybels was coming across the parking lot. And three times he tried to intercept her and three times she ran away from him. And luckily she saw a fellow employee at the church who grabbed her arm and helped her get into the church And by the time she got in there, she was crying and shaking and terrified. Do we know what Bill meant? I have no idea. Was it even the least bit appropriate for Bill to approach her when she was filing a grievance? (laughs) Not at all. Was she clearly in a state where she was receptive to Bill coming over, crying and shaking? I'd say not. Was there film footage of this whole thing in the parking lot? Yes, there was. Was it ever shown in the congregation? No, it was not. Okay. Shaming, intimidation, and threatening. It's easy, and it happens too often. Okay. Pay attention to people's words. 
Pay attention to the way they use their words. Pay attention to the way that they, even the subtle shifts in their power, the way they use their power. Oh, I can do this because I can, because I want to. People in power tend to, you can tell a lot about somebody by the way they use their power, okay? There's an interesting study that I read. Uh, I don't know if I'll use this and talk more about it later, but I'll just, I'll give you a really quick uh, two cents on it. Yeah. One of the things that I'm working through with this, because personally I've been affected by the whole abuse thing. Um, as, as some of the people, like I shared with you, one of my heroes is somebody who has fallen prey to being an abuser, right? And now I get to decide, what do I do with all the stuff that person poured into me, right? Not, not just like the time they spent mentoring me, but like the books they wrote, like the, the quotes I wrote down and that I would use. You're like, what do I do with that stuff now? Like, I talked to my dad the one day and, and, and we were talking like, that person wasn't always that person. They were something, something else before. I read a study about the brain. A uh, study tracked high-level leaders in Fortune 500 companies over the course of, uh, I forget how many years. Let's say it's a decade, just for the sake of me explaining this. And they tracked scans on the brain where certain areas of the brain would light up, and specifically the area of the brain that would show empathy. A person, a high-level leader coming into leadership, the, the area of the brain that has empathy lights up as they're coming into leadership. As the person gains that high level of leadership and maintains that level of leadership, they lose empathy. That area of the brain, brain stops lighting up and does not light up again. It's gone. It's gone. And to this study's credit, they're saying it doesn't come back. There is something about moving into high levels of leadership that sees empathy disappearing. In order to get there, it's like, I'm not saying you're selling your soul, don't hear me say that, but I'm saying, for lack of a better term in me explaining it, you give something of yourself away to get there, okay? Interesting, I think. Fascinating, I think. Here's my last one. Number eight, issuing a fake apology. Fake apologies are not issued out of confession. They're not issued out of repentance like a true apology. Instead, what they're doing is they condemn the victim, they appease the audience, they attach excuses, and they try to justify inappropriate behavior. A cheap apology is not an apology. It's another false narrative, okay? It's, it's claiming to do the right thing while it's actually just excusing or justifying sin, garnering sympathy, or appeasing the people who are upset. An authentic apology includes surrender, confession, ownership, recognition, and empathy. False apologies are just another false narrative. Don't forget that. Now, I told you I'd leave you with a more positive note, okay? For what it's worth, we have to be aware of these things. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry we have to have these conversations, but they're very, very important. A good culture, a 
tov culture shapes us towards goodness. A toxic culture shapes us towards toxicity. It shapes us toward evil. If a church is corrupt or toxic in its relationships, it will have corrupt and toxic categories of approval. Okay? Think about that in just even your own friendships. If you have toxic friendships, those friendships will have toxic categories of approval. The same is true of church. If you go to cho- toxic church, toxic categories of approval. If you have tove friends, then they have tove categories of approval. If you go to tove church, tove categories of approval. No church is perfect. No friends are perfect. No friend group is perfect. No church is perfect. And I am not up here advocating for us to be the perfect church. It isn't going to happen. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying Kanoi is the perfect church. And certainly I am not advocating to be the perfect leader. What I'm saying is we must always strive for Tove. We must. We must strive for goodness. We must repent from toxicity. That has to be our pattern. Strive for goodness, repent from toxicity. If that's our pattern as a church, that will be our pattern as a people. If that is our pattern as a people, that will be our pattern as a church. Are you with me? We have to make that our pattern, okay? Scott McKnight is a professor of New Testament at Northern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is also a longtime member of the Willow Creek Church where Bill Hybels is at. He, was, he is a part of that church. He was a part of that church when all the allegations came out. Um, up against Bill Hybels. He's done immense amounts of work on the idea of Tov. And McKnight says that the foremost expression of Tov, the foremost expression of goodness, is generosity. That is why Jesus spends so much time talking about generosity. It's why he spends so much time talking about money. Generosity is the foremost expression of Tov. McKnight goes on to say this. A tove person is one who consistently does what is right and generous. A tove culture forms when individuals are tove and, does, and do acts of tove. Consistently does what is right and generous. That doesn't mean we're perfect. I'm not advocating, again, for perfection. Okay, I'm not. I'm advocating for consistency consistently doing what is right and generous. Can we try that? Can we try that this week? Can that be our goal this week? Consistently, I'm gonna choose right. Consistently, I'm gonna choose generous. That's my goal this week. And here's the thing that we have to know and we have to, we have to, like, we have to buy this. Because if we don't, we will fail, straight up. Tove churches are not created by the hard work of man. It's not by our grittiness. It's not by our clever programming. Tove churches are created by the Holy Spirit, set free to do the work in us that it has to do in us. Tove churches are created by the Holy Spirit doing work in our churches. Tove churches are created by nurturing the fruit of the Spirit that Paul shares in Galatians 5. You know what those are? These are the things we need to nurture.
Do you want to be a, a group of people that consistently choose what is right and generous? Then at every opportunity you get, these are the things you need to choose. At every path that you come to, every intersection that you come to, and you go, I'm not sure what to do in this moment. You look at this list. You say a prayer, and you let the Holy Spirit impact your heart, and you choose, I'm gonna do the most loving thing that I can do now. I'm gonna do the most joyful thing, the most peaceful thing, the most patient thing, the most kind thing, the most good thing, the most faithful thing, the most gentle thing, the most self-controlled thing that I can do in this moment. I'm gonna choose the fruit of the Spirit that makes the most sense in this moment. These are the things I'm gonna pursue. These are the things that I'm gonna nurture. Those are the things that we must follow. These are the things that we must chase down. But here's the thing. Paul doesn't just give us this list in Galatians 5. Paul gives us two lists in Galatians 5. And this is the other one he gives us. So just like we've been talking about this whole time, pursue Tob and avoid toxicity, Paul gives us a list of toxic things to avoid. He says, run, flee from these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. Run from those things. If we make our lives about the toxic things, we have toxic categories of approval, then we will live toxic lives. But if we make our lives about the tove things, and we have tove categories of approval, then we will live tove lives. This is what it looks like to pursue tove. This is what it looks like to pursue toxicity. You have a choice to make, and it's not a choice that I can make for you, or the church can make for you, or anyone else can make for you. It's a choice that only you can make. You get to decide what you're going to do, and then the lucky thing is, you don't have to do it alone, you get to be a part of a community that does it with you. You get to be part of a community that can support you with it. You get to be part of a community that it gathers around you. We get to pursue this thing together, but when you go home, the community's not with you, so it's, it's on you, okay? Now, you can pick up the phone, you can send a text message, we can keep talking, but there's work that you have to do, there's work that we have to do, we do this stuff together. But we need to pursue Tov. The intention here of the tool I'm about to give you is to pursue habits of goodness, pursue habits of Tov. This, this tool that we're gonna go over is called the circle of Tov. I didn't make it up, all right? I know, we had a circle of love. I made the circle of love up. And we're all about circles at Kanoi BIC, apparently. Um, this comes from the book, the book that we're using to do this series called The Church Called Tove, and it's called The Circle of Tove. And the next couple of sermons that we do are gonna be exploring these next couple of things. So um, here are the seven steps that I'm gonna give you. And so each of these steps has a nurture and a resist. All right, so it's a, here's the thing you nurture, here's the thing you resist. And that's what we're gonna be looking at in the next several weeks here. So the first one is nurture empathy, resist narcissist culture. Nurture grace, resist a fear culture. Put people first, resist institution creep. Institution is when you forget there are people and you become too big, you become more of a program, you know, um, and you forget that there are, you forget there are people. Uh, tell the truth, resist false narratives. Uh, 
nurture justice, resist the loyalty culture. Some of you might think, isn't loyalty a good thing? Loyalty is a good thing until you're loyal beyond telling the truth, until you're loyal beyond justice, okay? All right, until you're loyal and you're willing to lie, right? Justice over loyalty. Uh, Nurture service, resist celebrity culture. Too many places are all about the celebrity status. I am not above plunging a toilet, neither should you be, all right? And uh, nurture Christ-likeness, resist the leader culture. Nothing wrong with being a leader, but many of us should be learning to be followers more than we should be learning to be leaders. And I, and I say followers, I mean disciples. Amen? Amen? Okay, so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at the circle of Tov over the next couple weeks. That'll wrap up our sermon series on this, but that doesn't wrap up our work on this. The Tov idea is, that's our, that's our year. That's our word for the year. That is our theme for the year. We are pursuing this, and everything we do for the rest of the year runs through this idea of Tov. I'm not gonna be talking about church abuse all year long, <laughs> right? We're thankful for that, I hope. Okay. <laughs> but this idea of the circle of Tov, this continues on for the rest of the year. Um, I want to take it seriously. I think you guys do too. I get that sense. I, I, last week, I had a couple of visitors here, and I went up and introduced myself to them, and, and I just said, hey, I do want to give you a little warning what we're talking about. Now we just have a heads up. And they're like, oh, thanks, appreciate that. And at the end of the sermon, they came back up, and, and uh, at the end of church, they came back up to talk to me, and, and the one said, hey, thanks. I, w- I don't think I would have heard this anywhere else, but I want you to know my daughter works worked at a church. She just left and she worked for a toxic pastor. This meant a lot to me. I've had that and I've had so many other stories told to me, sent to me, emailed to me from many of you and some folks that watch online. This matters that we're doing this. Um, I know it's hard and I know you're not leaving fully pumped up. I get that. Hang in there. It matters I think it's gonna pay out in the long run for us, okay? And I think for sure, down the road, as we lay this firm foundation for our church, this is something that we can all kind of stand on together and it'll give us common language to talk in the future. If there's things that we see or things that we feel that gives us words to use together, like toxic and tove and narcissism or celebrity culture or resisting this or embracing that, those are, that's common language now that we can use to move forward, whether I'm here or I'm not here, right? It's about our community. It's not about the person that stands here. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.